tell a story today. I'm going to tell a story out of Kings. It's probably uh, one of the most famous stories in the Bible. Um, so you can just sit back and listen to the story. And I am hoping that through the story, through the narrative of this superhero guy, that God's going to speak to your heart as he's spoken to mine and really give us some, some great um, encouragement in our, in our prayer life, in all honesty, and how we're praying during this 21 days. Um, the story I'm talking about is Elijah on Mount Carmel, and we're going to pick it up in um, Kings, 1 Kings 17. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want. But 1 Kings 17, verse 1. Oh, there, it's on the screen. I should tell you, too, I told... Um, well, the reason I, I walk around is because I just can't sit still. So if it's like playing tennis. I apologize, watching tennis on TV, but um, that's just how I roll. Um, and so buckle up. Every, every great um, story has a backstory to it. You know, we like to t- uh, hear what, 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 what went into this. And all we know about Elijah is in this verse, to be honest with you, up until this point. Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead. That's all we know about Elijah. One of, the, one of the, not even arguably, one of the greatest personalities in the entire Old Testament was Elijah. I mean, he ends up in the New Testament on, on uh, the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. He's, he's got a pretty key role um, in, in our history. Elijah means that, um, his name simply means, my God is Jehovah. It says he's the Tishbite, which in all honesty doesn't do us much good. We know there was a city called Tishbe, it was somewhere People debate about where it was. I don't know. Whatever. Of the inhabitants of Gilead is helpful. We know Gilead means he probably at one time lived in what is now modern-day Jordan, east of the Jordan River. So that is our entire backstory about this guy named Elijah. It says, Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab. Now, Ahab has a much more colorful backstory. So if you like a good, uh, well, I hate to say this, but if you like a good soap opera, Ahab's your guy. Um, you have to track with me, though, because we're going to start before Ahab a little bit. Um, there's a king in Israel, and the king of Israel is killed by his right-hand man, because that's how things happen. And so his, uh, the guy that was in charge of his chariots went and killed the king, and then he goes and burns himself down in a house. So it didn't end well for him. So now we've got no king. And the people of Israel say, let's, uh, let's come up with two guys. They came up with two guys, Omri and Tibni were the two guys that they came up with. Um, a certain sect of Israel wanted Omri to be king. A certain sect wanted Tibni. Well, the popular vote, that's not really how it happened, but the popular vote meant that Omri ended up being king. I'll give you one guess about what happened to Tibni. He died. Yeah, he didn't make it. Yeah, it's, you, you lose a vote in the U.S., you try again, you lose it in Israel in the ancient days, you die. I'm not sure. That wasn't the point, but... Um, so it says that Omri, Omri did some things that were probably good for the people of Israel um, as a king. He probably got into some alliances that nowadays we would think of as beneficial, connecting with different kingdoms. He uh, probably actually helped stabilize their economy a little bit. But interestingly enough, I don't think God cared about all those things. In fact, those things were probably, some of the ways he did those things were actually against the Lord. Because it says in 1 Kings 16, it says, Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all who were before him. That is a bad leader. <laughs> so, so Omri has a son, his name is Ahab. In Ahab, one of the alliances that he made was uh, Ahab married Jezebel, which was a heathen king's daughter. 
So Ahab marries outside of the family of God. It's a big no-no. In fact, he's the first king of Israel ever to do that. That never been done before. And Jezebel comes in, and basically um, it says in verse 33, so we ask, how did Ahab do as a king? He followed in his dad's footsteps. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel in anger than all the kings of Israel before him. That would include his father. So now he's the worst king in all of Israel's history. So this is kind of part of the backstory of where we're at. As Jezebel, his wife, comes in, what Jezebel does is she actually introduces, potentially, this, this uh, false god named Baal. And this is where it gets kind of interesting in our story. Baal is the Canaanite god of four things, of rain, dew, thunder, and lightning. Which, those four things are critical to our story, so don't forget those. He's, he's the god of rain, dew, thunder, and lightning. Um, but what happens is God's people begin to worship Baal. Baal, and in our modern day, would rep- represent things that pull our heart away from God, pull our heart away from serving the true God. We're serving our selfish ambitions, our sin. Um, in his day, that's, they were serving another God. They had uh, altars to God um, historically, and then they would build altars to Baal. What the prophet actually discussed it as is they basically said, um, Israel, you're an unfaithful lover. You're, you're cheating on God with this God named Baal. And so that's kind of the backstory of what happened until Elijah got there. So now we got 1 Kings 17.1, Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, so we know who he is, said to Ahab, so Ahab's not doing too well um, on God's standard of kings. He says to Ahab, uh, as the Lord God of Israel lives who, uh, before whom I stand, there shall be no dew or rain, remember those two words, <clears throat> except at my word. Do we have any people that enjoy um, the Food Network? Yeah. Anybody watch Bobby Flay's Throwdown? Because Elijah just called the Throwdown. He literally just said, I know you, you honor this God of rain and dew, thunder and lightning called Baal, but I'm going to tell you that there's not going to be any rain except at my word. I think that's pretty interesting. I never knew that in the story before coming into this week. The Lord kind of put it on my heart to go after looking into Elijah, and I began to realize like he was confronting from the get-go this god of, uh, uh, called Baal. Elijah's not only challenging uh, Baal on behalf of God, but he's challenging Jezebel, Ahab's wife. Uh, he's challenging the priests, the false priests. He's challenging Ahab and the entire nation of Israel to say, look it, there ain't going to be no rain, and let's see what your God can do about that. So a drought was proclaimed. If you want this week, if you want some fun reading, read through 1 Kings 17. It's a great, and 18. It's a great adventure story. There's a drought proclaimed. No rain happens. And this prophet, Elijah, actually ends up getting fed by birds. They bring him meat and bread down by the creek. And then he's fed by a widow. There's some great stories of God providing. So if you have up on these walls some provision and you want to you you know, get that faith stirred up, God can provide a raven. He can provide food by a raven. The, the, a lady who really um, blessed me in my life, I remember her saying it in one of her tough times. I said, well, Marianne, are you, are you concerned? She's like, no. If, if, if God needs to, there'll be manna on my front lawn tomorrow. He did it for the Israelites, he'll do it for me. And I just always thought that was funny. So, you know, just let that stir your faith up. So there's our backstory. There's a drought. It's been three and a half years, and now we get to the fun part of the story. In 1 Kings 18, verse 20, <clears throat> Elijah had, um, had actually said, you know, let's meet on the mountain because he had his, he had his rain throwdown. He's about to have another throwdown. He said, let's meet everybody on the mountain. So Ahab, verse 20, sent for all the children of Israel, 
gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel, and Elijah came to all the people and said, how long are you going to falter between two opinions? How long are you going to waver? Who is God? Come on. Is, it, is, is Jehovah God or is Baal God? Make your decision. Basically, he's saying, I give, I've given you three and a half years, and uh, Baal's done nothing. So, um, the people didn't answer him a word. Verse 22, Elijah said, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls. So what he does is he stands on top of this uh, mountain and he says, you take a bull, I'll take a bull. We're going to create an offering. We're going to put some wood down. We're going to put the bull on it like we should. And we're going to call and ask the the true God to come and light that offering, that sacrifice with fire. Um, So he tells them, he says, "You, you set it all up. You call in the name of your God, I'll call in the name of my God. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. Remember what, what Baal was the God of? Rain, dew, thunder, and lightning. Let's see whose God answers with some lightning. So that's our second throwdown. It's, it's really interesting to me that Baal has actually already, he's already proven to the nation that, I'm sorry, Elijah has already proven to the nation that Baal, Baal couldn't do anything. You know, he, he just, he wasn't powerful. He didn't answer people. He wasn't alive. And now he's telling the supposed God of lightning to come and answer with fire. Finish the statement for me. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I remember um, Pastor Jeff here in the last probably 18 months or so mentioning something about that verse and how um, when it actually talks about the Greek culture of the day, that word truth was actually synonymous with reality. You shall know reality. And I, I can't help but thinking, if I was an Israelite praying to Baal for rain during this three and a half year drought, what is my reality? At what point do I say, oh my goodness, this ain't working, like, come on, you know? Like, God, God, either God is God or, or not. And uh, so I think it's interesting, my, my, my eight-year-old, we're reading through this story, and we told her the end of it, we're going through it, and at the end, sorry to throw the ending out at you if you don't know the story, but he slaughters the bad prophets and blah, blah, blah. And she says, well, why, why did they get slaughtered? Why didn't God give them a chance? And I said, Josephine, they had three and a half years Our God is slow to anger, isn't he? He's abounding in steadfast love. He he gave them a chance. That throwdown was to show the the family of the people of God, hey, this is the the true reality that Jehovah's God, right? Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourselves, prepare it. First, so they, they do it. It says that they put the bull up like they should in verse 26. They set it all up and they began to pray. Verse 27 says at noon... Elijah began to mock them. That's my favorite part of the story. Um, Josephina's quick to tell me. She opens up her Bible, and she says, Daddy, Psalm 1-1 says, don't sit in the seat of mockers. Why is Elijah? And I said, thank you, Kid Zone. I love our youth ministry here. My, my eight-year-old knows the word. And I said, well, even Elijah's not perfect, but it was funny. So Elijah begins to mock the prophets of Baal, and he says, cry aloud. He is God, Baal is. Either he's meditating, maybe he's busy, maybe he's on a journey Perhaps Baal's sleeping and you have to wake him up. I love it. So they cried louder. They actually responded to his mockery, which is hysterical to me. And they cut themselves and did all this crazy stuff. And then midday passed. And the, the, the false prophets, they prophesied until the time of the evening offering. And then finally Elijah said, enough's enough. And he said, uh, come on over here. I want to show you something. So all the people came near to Elijah. This is in verse 30. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones. And he rebuilt the altar with the stones. 
And he made a trench around the altar, large enough for 18 quarts of seed. That's what that that, uh, seeds mean, 18 quarts of seed. Verse 33, he puts the wood in order. He puts the bull like it should be for for the sacrifice. And then he takes 12 pots of water and he pours it all over this this altar. Now, I'm an Eagle Scout, and in all my years of building a fire, we never started with water. Amen? So 12 pots of water until the trough, that little thing he he dug in, was was filled, filled up with water. And I just think it's interesting. I think it's interesting that as a believer of, of God, Jeho- uh, Elijah saying, you know, God can build a fire underwater. He's not limited by our dry wood. You couldn't get Baal to shoot a little fireball down from heaven. And he's saying, watch what's going to happen. Verse 36 is where it gets good. And it came to pass at the time of the offering, Elijah the prophet came near. He said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. That's what we're going to hone in on. Say at your word. At your word. That I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, that you have turned their hearts back to you again. And then the fire of the Lord fell. And um, I think once in a while the Lord just likes to show off and he consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and the water in the trench. I just think that's outrageous. Everything was gone. If there was any question, it got erased in a moment of time. And in verse 39, it says, the people fell on their faces. I think I would as well. And they began to cry out, Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Let that be encouraging to you. If you feel like your heart's away from the Lord, he knows how to draw you back in. <laughs> This is more than a historical story. How many know that? It's more than just a story to tell our kids at bedtime or in Sunday school. I feel like every time we read a, of a super, superhero like this in the, in the Old Testament, there's, there's nutrients in it for me and you to grab, to grab hold of, vitamins. And I feel like a vitamin in this for me is that verse where Elijah said, I have done all these things at your word. How many know we're in 21 days of focused prayer? And as we move into week two, my encouragement is, to you, to me, I mean, I'm, I, this word is just as much alive to myself as what, what is the word I am standing on? We have these prayers all over this auditorium written down of things we're praying for. And um, I don't know about you, there's been times where I've literally stood, um, I don't know about here, but in other places, and you'll, you'll hold someone's hands and say, what can I pray for you about, brother? And what comes out of their mouth is not godly at all. And I'm like, I can't actually pray for that. God is not going to kill your spouse, you know, or, or whatever the thing is. We need the word of God to stand on because that's where faith comes from. And I feel like the, the encouragement for us today is as we go into week two, I want to encourage us, let's, let's press into God so that we can stand on his word like Elijah because there's no sure foundation. Um, scripture teaches us that faith comes from hearing the word and it's alive. And one of the things I want to explain is people say, well, how do, how do I stand on the word? What does that mean? I'll literally take my Bible out and I'm sure you each have a different way of doing it, but I, and, and I begin to get into the Word, and I begin to read it until something jumps off the page at me. You know what I'm saying? You read through something, and, and something comes alive, or I read through something, and for the next two days, I realize the Lord's reminding me about that verse. It just keeps coming to mind. And so I would say pay attention to those things. During this 21 days, pay attention to the little, little invitations that God brings our way to say, okay, this is something I want you to pay attention to. Um, 
Elijah goes on in verse 46, 41 through 46, and he, um, he says to the king, so long story short, the fire comes down. He ends up taking the prophets and killing them. I told you all the end of the story from the beginning. There's a huge slaughter because a lot of stuff is gory in the Old Testament. Um, he, he clears out the, the, the foreign gods, gets rid of all that stuff. And then he says to the king, I hear the rain is coming. Remember, Baal, he's due rain, thunder and lightning. And he says, Elijah says, I hear the rain is coming. He, he told them beforehand, there's going to be no rain except at my word. And he just gave his word. And this is the interesting piece, is that Elijah literally prayed eight times. He prayed, and then he sent his servant to go look. Go look for the rain. If you read through the verses, and the servant came back and said, I see nothing. On the eighth time, the servant went out again, and it says, the servant came back and said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. And Elijah's response was, I got it. Like the tiniest of clouds. Like mud puddle-sized cloud, like not going to do anything. Eliza looked at that with the eyes of faith and said, there's going to be a downpour. And in fact, he told, he told him, he said, hey, you better get going before the rain stops you. But it's only the, a cloud the size of a man's hand. No, you better hitch up your wagons, hitch up your chariots, and get moving because there's about to be a thunderstorm. And I want to encourage us that as when God brings his word alive to me, to you, we all know this to be true if you've been in the word at all, that, that you can take the littlest thing and he brings such life to it. Amen? That all of a sudden you say, no, no way. I see a cloud. It's the size of man. It's good enough for me. I'm laying hold of that. How many people know that temptation is actually the devil's, um, is sent by the devil to cause us to sin? That's what temptation is, right? You're tempted to do something. But God has a, a better alternative. It's called um, testing. And testing is our opportunity to believe God big when everything doesn't look that way. And I believe Elijah entered into a, a time of testing. Everything's working out for him. And the answer to his prayer was this tiny little cloud. And he said, no, no, I'm going to believe God big. Because today the Lord's answering my prayer. And there's going to be uh, rain in the land of, of Israel. Last week, Pastor Justin encouraged us to be praying not just for something, but praying through. And I, I would, I would want to encourage you that that's what Elijah was doing. He was praying through his situation till he had an answer. Elijah partnered with God in prayer. He didn't beg. In doubt, he prayed until he had his breakthrough. And I think this 21-day this season for us, at least for me, I'm believing that, that we are praying through our situations. How many people have some, some stuff where they're believing God for healing? They're believing God for um, maybe resources, some, you know, some provision. That's stuff my family's believing God for. You're believing God for maybe uh, relational um, restoration. Things in your family, you know, mom, dad, kids, that maybe brokenness that you believe in God to do. Let's pray through it. Let's get that word that we can stand on, pray through it until we see the cloud the size of the man's hand coming. So here's where I want to go. This is a bit different. Um, I, I want to encourage us to begin to, to uh, accept, receive, encounter the word this morning more than just me preaching. So here's, I want to encourage you to take your pens. If you're taking any notes, put them down. And we're actually going to do something a little different. What if the story is not just an exciting Bible adventure? What if it's more than a story about a superstar that we all clap at? During his day... God used Elijah to foreshadow what would be available in your day and my day. What if Elijah was never meant to be an unattainable Old Testament superstar, but God said, I'm foreshadowing what a believer in right relationship with me would have access to? I think that's the case. James 5, 17 and 18 says, Elijah was a, was a man with a nature 
like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't. And then he prayed that it would rain, and the earth brought forth fruit. But it's interesting, he calls Elijah a man with a nature just like ours. What does it mean? It means that he felt like what you felt, what you feel, what I feel, that he had good days, that he had bad days. It means Elijah was passionate. That's actually the word has to do with passion. It actually, he was passionate about things, which means, by definition, that he didn't care about other things. You can't be passionate about everything. By definition, it meant that he, had, he understood affection and love and tenderness. There was something about, about that nature where he understood affection, maybe affection toward God or family. And it also meant that he probably struggled, that he probably had some weaknesses just like you and I do. And this basically means that Elijah was not a superhero at all, but simply a normal guy. So I want to remind you this morning about what the Word says about you and I. Because I think one of the ways that we grab hold of God in, in our prayer life is first understanding two things. Who God says he is, which I think we talk a lot about, we get a little bit. But number two, who God says I am. Who God says you are. Who we are as children of God. Because I think it shapes how we pray. It shapes how we engage with God. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want you just to take a breather, relax, maybe even close your eyes. Um, only fall asleep if the Holy Spirit allows you to. I'm just joking. Um, it's a little bit different, but I want, the, the, I want the, the word of the Lord actually to work in you. Like, here's a verse. It's in Romans 8.1. It says this, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ, who don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What does that mean? Condemnation speaks of punishment and being unfit for use. Are you in Christ this morning? That means have you bowed your knee to the lordship of Jesus? If the answer to that is yes, then he says you're fit for use. There is no punishment for you this morning. When you come before your good God in, in your prayer time, it's coming as one who is free, a free son or a free daughter. Verse 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. That's what we're doing this morning, just setting our minds on the things of God. Like how do we set our minds on what God is interested in. I believe, that, I believe that our minds are actually like a gateway. What we believe about God either lets in truth or holds it out. And if, as we set our minds on the things of God, um, stuff like the truth says, the Bible says he never leaves you. Think about that. He never leaves me. He never forsakes me. He's never away from me. I may not understand why, why something happened, but in the midst of my hard time, he's right there with me. Anybody recognize that? He's right there with me. But if the spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Jesus' dead body, think about this, was in the grave. Breath went away. Blood stopped flowing. It was dark. And then all of a sudden, the spirit of life comes into that dark tomb. And the breath came back. The blood began to flow again, and the scripture says that that same power of the Holy Spirit now lives in you. So I want to ask you this question, what problem in your body can stand up against the power of the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, just, if you have an issue, let's just go after that today. Let's just pray. If you have a problem in your body, let's just pray. Father, we just thank you that the Spirit lives in us this morning. And I just pray right now that the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead would quicken everyone's just Physical issues this morning make, bring healing 
into reach, bring healing to the touch this morning. God, I pray that every ailment would be set right by the power of your Holy Spirit. What is possible with that Holy Spirit living inside of us? As you pray and you're, you're, you're engaging with God, just meditate on that fact that the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead lives in me. Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit who helps us in our weakness, we don't know how to pray as we ought to. It says that the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. How many need that? You, you're, you're up against a wall. You know, there's some, there's some impossible situations on these walls. I kind of looked through it today. There's some things that look completely impossible. You may not even know how to pray anymore. How do I pray for that God? And God says, just let me. Let me intercede for you. Come into my presence. Let the Holy Spirit begin to move upon you. That, that word intercede, actually, another meaning is to light upon, to come upon like a bird. The Holy Spirit come right upon you. Intercession begin to be made for you on your behalf because he loves you. And he wants to see his kingdom come upon you. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. It's funny. I think there's like a whole bunch of times this morning where we're talking about um, salvation. So I, I just, if that's you if, you, if you feel like this morning I need to come to a place of knowing Jesus, you're in the right place. Make no mistake, in this verse, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. There's a qualifier. Sons of God is not talking broadly about all people. It's, it's an invitation to join his family. Amen? Isn't that so good? Those that are led by the Spirit of God, God would love all people to join his family. However, our sin and our disobedience have created a divide between me and God that I can't reconcile. And the truth is that somebody's got to pay for my sin, and Jesus did just that. So there's going to be an opportunity at the, during the end of the service. You want to come up for some ministry, get free of that guilt and the shame. Today's a good day to do that. He who did not spare, this is verse 33, his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? That's a very wordy scripture. I want to tell a story on that one. So on, on worship night, which was, what, last Sunday? Which was outrageous, by the way. I loved it. We have an amazing team of people that just serve us in that regard. I'm so thankful for them. Um, it was like two hours long, which I love. We, some of us, we could have gone four hours, right? I mean, God was just in the house. Um, and probably about two songs from the end, I didn't know it was going to end, um, I had to turn to my four-year-old and said, Clara, can we, we're almost there, sweetie. She's like, Daddy, you want to go home? I think the feet were in the air and she's rolling on the floor. I'm like, we're almost there. Um, at one point, our family was sitting in the back and Andre took a picture of us and said we look like a homeless family at a train station. <laughs> so we are just a hot mess. Um, <laughs> I, I said, if, if you, if you, you know, be on your best behavior, Clara, and, and afterward we're going to have a, a treat. And she got all excited. And then about 30 seconds later, she turned to me and she kind of grabbed me. And she says, Daddy, just not the fruits and the vegetables. <laughs> I think sometimes that's how we, th we wouldn't say this, but that's how we think God is. Like, we, we come to God and say, God, I just need you. I want all that you have. And in the back of our mind, it's like, oh, not the rutabagas again. I've had those every night. Not that, don't send me to China. You know what I mean? We think that God's intentions for us aren't, aren't, aren't our best. And, and this verse is, is very inspiring to me. It says, God didn't spare Jesus, but delivered Jesus up for you and I. How will he not give you everything else if he started with his best? Amen? Look at, look at our prayer needs that we have this week that we're going after believing God big for his kingdom to invade our situation and realize that if God started with his best, oh, he's not withholding anything, right? He's not going to withhold from me. 
He's not holding out on you. He's exceedingly generous. He's full of compassion and loving kindness. He's for you. He's not against you. He has plans to bless you and help you do well. That's his heart. He's completely good all of the time, and he has no limitations. Put those two together. He's completely good all the time, and he lacks any limitation. That's, that's a good guy right there. That's a good God. That's someone that you want to get in his corner because nothing is impossible with God. This week, as we press into week number two of praying, I want that verse to begin to just stir in our spirits. Nothing is impossible with God. Elijah wasn't a superhero. He was a man who, 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 who functioned as a man in right relationship with God. He did what the word of the Lord said. He obeyed the word of the Lord. And the Lord's invitation to us is to do the exact same thing. I wouldn't slaughter 450 people, though. Just keep that out of the story. But the rest of it, go after God. Why don't you stand with me today? I want, to, I want to think about this story. I want to end with, for nothing is impossible with God. Do you remember the story that Mary, the angel comes to Mary and um, says, you're going to have a child. And she said, I don't know how that's possible because me and Joey, we didn't do anything. And the angel's response was, for nothing shall be impossible with God. Remember that? So the interesting thing about this, I, I actually read it, I was looking in kind of Vine's dictionary about some stuff, and I'm, I'm reading what that, those words mean. The word nothing comes from two Greek words, pas, P-A-S, which means everything, and the word rhema. Anybody ever heard of the, rhema, the word rhema before? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, every rhema of God. So the word nothing is actually these two words, every, every and, and word. And the way that the Vines Expository Dictionary said it, it says you could technically put that verse together and say this, no word from God shall be void of power. So as we stand on the word of the Lord today, I want, to, I want us to remember that no word from God is ever void of power. Every rhema, every living word from God contains the power within the word to see the execution of the word. Amen? Elijah said, I've done all these things at your word. Yeah, he has. In fact... I don't think it's too much to say that he did all those things because of God's word. Had God not spoken it, the power wouldn't have been available to do it. So what's he speaking over your life today? Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak to us today, that you would show us the words to stand on, give us a fresh rhema for the day that we would know, that we would know, that we would know in our heart that no word that you have given us is void of power. But in that word is the fulfillment of what we see. If you don't know where to start, I encourage you to read Romans 8. That's some of the scriptures I read out of. Um, if it's new to you to kind of seek in the scripture for a word from God, I hate to say this, but Romans 8 is kind of, in my mind, an easy one. It's just filled with good news. It's filled with who we are in Christ and God's greatness. And it's brought just a ridiculous amount of freedom to my life, that chapter. See if the Holy Spirit has any of the words of Roman 8 jump off the page. And don't worry if it's not about your need. You say, well... My need is finance, and this word that he brought off the page is about sonship. Well, that's the word that you need. It might not have anything to do with finances. It's okay. God knows what he's doing. You begin to see something, a glimpse. Okay, God might be in that word. You begin to see a glimpse that God might be for you. It's like seeing a cloud the size of the man's hand. Stand up and rejoice. Say, I got it. I got it. It's as good as rained. It's as good as done because I got it. I see it. My eyes of faith see it. This morning, I want to pray this over you. 
I want to pray and declare over each one of us the love of God, that, that we, no matter where we're at, no matter where we're at today in our prayer quest, praying for, for these things that are heavy on our heart, that the very first thing we should recognize is that if I'm going to come to God, I want to know that he loves me, that he cares for me. So here it is. Do me a favor. Just close your eyes and let these words sink in. It says, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, there's some people in this congregation that have gone through some death in the last couple weeks. It's a hard thing. Neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come. Notice that um, your past isn't in there. That's under the blood. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. This morning, we're going to have just another song of worshiping and ministering unto the Lord, and I want to encourage you that if you need to take a step and say, Lord, I'm looking for a fresh word from you. I'm going to get in your word. I'm looking for, um, I'm looking for that cloud today because I believe you are on my side. If you need some ministry of any kind, I want to encourage you to come on forward. We have a great ministry team. And they're not just, gonna, they're not just interested in praying for you. They're interested in seeing God move on your behalf and actually seeing the kingdom of heaven come and touch down on your life so that, 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 that the wickedness the enemy may have, whether it's sin or sickness or brokenness, is actually changed in a moment of time. How many know that's possible today? Because nothing is impossible with God. Amen? I believe this week that God has some good stuff in store for us because that's how he is. It's not the broccoli and the carrots. It might be like a whoopie pie and some ice cream. I don't know. But um, I'm just grateful for him today. Father God, we thank you that you are a good God, that all you do is wonderful. I pray that every step we take, every word of our mouth would glorify the name of Jesus. We pray that the light of the gospel would go forth out of this building into all of southern Maine in this area, God, and that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done in and through us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Have a great Sunday.